Hebrews chapter 13, and we're going to read a couple of scriptures. Hebrews 13. Hebrews 13. Praise God. It's 10.52, so I got an hour and eight minutes. Woo-hoo! <laughs> Nothing like a preacher that has lots of time, right? You know, there was a, a minister that was uh, uh, prone to uh, go long, and uh, he told somebody... He said, uh, well, I forget my watch. And they said, well, if you forget your watch, there's a calendar on the wall behind you. So <laughs> we're here to get something done, whether it's short or long, okay? So uh, Hebrews 13, verse uh, 20 says, Now the God of peace... How many know God as a God of peace? We have peace. Amen. In other words, we have rest, tranquility, undisturbedness. Uh, I'm not uh, disturbed this morning about uh, facing death. I have no fear of death because Jesus took the sting out of death and he will raise me from the dead. I have no undisturbedness about how God views me this morning because the work of the Lord Jesus Christ was, was a work of perfection and completeness in obtaining my redemption and my reconciliation to God. Amen. Being justified by faith, I have peace with God. So we can have peace because God is the God of peace. Now the God of peace... That did what? He brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus. Can you claim him as your Lord this morning? Amen. If you know him personally, then he is your Lord Jesus. That great shepherd of the sheep. So he's called the good shepherd in John 10 here. He's called the great shepherd. So he is the good shepherd and the great shepherd. Amen. The great shepherd of the sheep and the way that he was brought again from the dead and what he trusted in for his resurrection uh, was the blood of the everlasting covenant. Through the blood. Say through the blood. Through the blood of the everlasting covenant. Amen? Say that all together with me. Through the blood of the everlasting covenant. So the Bible mentions covenant here and uh, that Jesus' uh, uh, resurrection from the dead was through the blood of the everlasting covenant. And it says that this is not a temporary covenant, but a everlasting covenant. Amen? Then in Ephesians... we see similar mention of covenant. Ephesians. Let 
in recounting what we were pre-Christ to what we were and have received after we have known Christ. Uh, he uses the phraseology in times past, and then he uses now. So uh, he says in chapter 2, verse 2, he says, uh, or we'll start in verse 1, And you who were dead in trespasses and sins, wherein, say it with me, time past, you walked according to the course of this world. In other words, we were just like any other person that uh, was worldly and under the God of this world. According to the prince of the power of the air, or according to the prince of the, yeah, the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now works in the children of disobedience. Uh, that's Satan, of course. Among whom also we all had past tense, our lifestyle or manner of life in times past, right? In the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind. And we were by nature the children of wrath. We had the wrong nature. We had sin nature, even as others. But God. How many knows but God is a good uh, thing to know? But God, who is rich in mercy for his great love, wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, he's made us alive together with Christ. By grace you're saved. <coughs> Excuse me. And he hath raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ. How I many knows we look a whole lot better in Jesus and have a great inheritance in him? That... In the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. For by grace we're saved through faith, that not of ourselves is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. We are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. Verse 11 Wherefore, remember that you being, here's this phraseology again, what? In times past, Gentiles in the flesh who are called uncircumcision by that which is called the circumcision in the flesh made by hands, that at that time you were without Christ. Aren't you glad you're with Christ now? Being aliens or foreigners or outsiders, from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise. In other words, we did not have a covenant. Strangers from the covenants, plural, of promise. Abrahamic covenant, the Old Testament or Old Covenant, and of course, uh, you know, the New Covenant. Uh, a promise having no hope without God in the world. So we didn't have any hope. We didn't have God. We didn't have any wealth. We didn't have Christ. We were uh, just uncircumcised according to, you know, the covenant definition. We were Gentiles. Uh, we didn't have anything. Uh, but now, verse 13, in Christ Jesus, you who sometimes were afar off were made nigh, by the blood of Christ. 
And then again, we find the peace element mentioned, for he is our peace, who hath made both, that is Jew and Gentile, one, and hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us. There was a wall that separated the court of the Gentiles from the court of the Jewish people, and a Gentile could not go into the court, but now through Christ that wall is broken down. And there's not any ethnic differences anymore. Those are all destroyed in Christ Jesus. And uh, the Bible says that if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. And so it doesn't matter uh, uh, about what your ethnic background, it matters what kind of creature you are. How many is a new creature this morning? You've been made new by the power of the Holy Spirit in your faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? Say it with me, I'm born again, and I have a covenant. So I wanted to just emphasize today uh, the element of covenants, because if we don't understand covenants, we don't understand the Lord's Supper. And for it to have the meaning and the depth that uh, it is to have, it's necessary that we uh, understand uh, what a covenant is, the highest kind of covenant, and that we are in covenant relationship. Now, we're at a disadvantage here when it comes to covenants because uh, we are a Western society and a people, a relatively new nation that was begin. Of course, we just celebrated Independence Day. July 4, 1776 was the Declaration of Our Independence and the uh, beginning of this nation as we know it as the United States of America. But that's only been uh, just 300 years ago. So we're a Western nation. Uh, we have, do not have a long history. And some of our unrenewed mind and our way of thinking is not compatible with understanding covenants. But you can't understand God, nor can you understand the old what we call the Old Testament, which is actually the Old Covenant, nor understand the New Testament, which is the New Covenant, unless you get more of a renewed mind in regard to what covenants are and that God, uh, His relationships and His dealings with mankind uh, evolve around and are centered in relationships that are covenant relationships. Okay? So look at your neighbor and say, think covenant. So we're going to talk just a little bit, and it's really impossible to do this justice in the time that we have, but we'll hit some of the high points. Uh, if you go back, uh, God's dealings from antiquity past with man, with Abraham, he cut covenant. He and Abraham came into covenant. Uh, the Old Testament of course, it's the old covenant of God with the descendants of Abraham, Israel. And so there were certain principles that, uh, you know, were part of covenant making. And you see those throughout the whole Bible. And if you read the New Testament and you don't have any knowledge of covenant, it will not have the depth and significance that it should have. You have to see the New Testament through the lens of covenant. Right? Think covenant. And in particular, uh, amongst uh, covenants is what is called 
blood covenant or a covenant that's ratified or a covenant that's sealed, a covenant that's established through uh, blood because blood is the most significant element that could be used to confirm a covenant because uh, how many knows it says in Leviticus, the life is in the blood. And so if you cut blood covenant, you're actually coveting to the degree of, of, of a commitment or a, a loyalty to uh, uh, that covenant that includes your life, which is the greatest thing that you could make covenant with. Right? And so uh, uh, the Bible uh, teaches us that what Jesus did for us was the gospel is the good news about how God cut blood covenant with us through the covenant representative of the Lord Jesus Christ. So when we approach the Lord's table, then we're approaching a covenant remembrance of what's been done for us in Jesus. And we need to be reestablishing in our mind that we have a covenant uh, with God and that our whole life, uh, you know, in the New Testament is the new covenant life. So uh, let me just uh, give you, find John chapter 6 for the sake of time, and let me give you uh, a couple of, uh, let me just read you what Brother E.W. Kenyon wrote. Uh, Brother E.W. Kenyon commented in his book, The Blood Covenant, that he was convinced that there was something about the Lord's table and the truth forming the foundation of it that he did not understand in his early days of walking with the Lord. So he said there was something mystical about the Lord's table. I heard another minister talk about uh, reading the Bible for years, and he said his theology was like islands in the uh, ocean. And that when he understood covenant, it brought all the islands together into a continent of land. And that his primary view of Christianity had been, uh, which is taught in Romans and is true, uh, and that is that we're sinners and that we, the wages of sin is death, and it's taught in a judicial system setting that uh, we were unrighteous and then that we were acquitted or set free, free through the, uh, the substitution of the Lord Jesus Christ taking the penalty of the broken law for us so that we were acquitted or we were set free or we were made innocent through uh, the shedding of his blood and his life being offered instead of ours. And that is a good model, but if you're really going to grasp and understand the Word of God and especially the New Covenant, which we're in, we just read several verses that talk about how God uh, established covenant with us. Right? And uh, this can vitalize your Christian experience and your Christian uh, understanding of who you are, what God is to you, and what God has done for us and the whole confines of our relationship with God. Is, if, if I could uh, this morning uh, give you two words that would, uh, that would indicate what uh, our relationship with the Lord is, they are personal and they are covenant. We have a personal relationship with the Lord, and we have a covenant relationship with the Lord. Say that with me. I have a personal relationship and have a covenant relationship.
Now, this thing about God being our personal God and us being His personal uh, people and us having that personal interaction, the depth of that, although I've walked with the Lord, I got new light and new depth on that uh, just in the last few weeks. It's really even vitalized an already vitalized relationship with the Lord. How many knows you can get a revitalization of your already vital relationship? <clears throat> And so uh, let me read you. We'll just talk, let's talk just a little bit this morning about the personal side of our relationship. Is God personal and is his relationship with us personal? Uh, Can you know God personally? And by personal, uh, let me give you an illustration. Suppose you and a friend are together and uh, you're short on uh, money that month and you asked your friend for money amount that will tide you over to your next promised paycheck. Your friend kindly obliges and you both agree to terms. How much, when you'll pay it back. You have made what might be termed a personal loan. (laughs) Right? Why is it a personal loan? The loan exists between two people. It's not between you and an institution. Right? You, you, it's a personal loan, not a, you know, institutional loan, right? You know them, they know you. A relationship exists between the two of you. The loan provides a context for some ongoing interaction between the two of you, right? So in that sense, it's a personal loan because you know the person and it provides interaction. These are some things that qualify what personal means. It's interactive between the two of you. You know them, you're familiar with them, they know you. And so uh, it's between two people that makes it personal. So think about it in that context when we say Christ is our personal Savior. It is between two individuals that you're, he died for you. He is your Lord. He is our God. I am His child. Right? Go, go to Hebrews chapter 8 with me. Say it with me. I have a personal relationship with the Lord. Okay, here is covenant again, and here is the personal part of it. Hebrews 8.10. There's a lot about covenant in the Bible. Let's start in verse 7. Well, let's start in verse 6. Let's go back to Genesis. No, I'm just teasing. (laughs) Hebrews 8, 6, But now hath he, talking about Christ, obtained a more excellent ministry by how much also he is the mediator of a what? Better covenant. Woo-hoo which was established upon better promises. How many want to go back and get under the old covenant that was based on the blood of goats and lambs and had the Levitical priesthood when you could be under the new covenant with the high priest not being Aaron but being the Lord Jesus Christ based on his blood? Amen? 
For if that first covenant had been faultless, then should no place have been sought for the second. For finding fault with them, he saith, Behold, the days come, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant. Say new covenant. New covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Not according to the covenant that I made. God is a covenant making and a covenant keeping God. If you're going to understand God, you have to understand covenant. Not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day when I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt. Now you get a little bit of significance of what it means to be in covenant with God. When He is our God, He becomes our deliverer, our salvation. He led them out of the hand of Egypt because they continued not in my covenant. They broke it. And I regarded them not, says the Lord. Well, that covenant was written on uh, granite tables of stone, but notice what he says here. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws not on granite tables, I'm adding that, but I'll put my laws into their minds and write them in their hearts. Amen. Glory to God. Where is the law of God written? Well, the new commandment of the new covenant is the love law. A new commandment I give unto you, that you love one another even as I have loved you. Well, where is that love? That love is shed abroad in our heart by the Holy Spirit. So he wrote that in our heart and sealed it by the Holy Spirit that lives within us. I will put my laws in their minds. I will write them in their hearts. I will be to them a God. Say, he'll be to me a God. So what kind of God is he? He is my God. A personal God. Right? You know, Paul said, and my God shall supply all of your needs. The Lord is my shepherd, he's my personal shepherd. It's a one-on-one interaction, me and him, between two people. Just like a personal loan is between two people, a personal salvation is between two people. And this is a personal covenant. We're coming to the covenant table this morning, renewing the personal covenant with the Lord, doing it in remembrance of him. So he said, for this is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, saith the Lord, I'll put my laws in their mind. Say that with me. I got his laws in my mind and in my heart. Amen. And I will write them in their hearts and I will be to them a God and they shall be to me a people. So he is my God, our God, and we are his people. I am his uh, person, right? It's personal. And they shall not teach every man his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for all shall know me from the least to the greatest. Now notice what happens in connection with covenant, unknowing. And this is not unknowing mentally, about God, this is a knowing Him personally. And they shall all know me. 
In other words, under the Old Testament, only the king, priest, and prophet had the Holy Spirit resting on them. But under the New Testament, thank God, if you needed guidance, you had to go to the prophet. But under the New Testament, the Bible doesn't say, for as many as are led by prophets, they're the children of God. It says, for as many as are led by the Spirit of God, we can all know God because we all have the Holy Spirit in us. Gideon put out a fleece because he didn't have the Holy Spirit living in him. You don't have to put out a fleece and shouldn't put out a fleece. If you put out a fleece, you'll get fleeced. You're not looking in the exterior world where Satan is the Lord of this world to get direction by how many birds flew by or how many cars passed on the road or riding in the sky or what we see or what we feel. We know in our heart because the Spirit bears witness with our spirit. And we can know God individually and personally. Can you say amen? For they shall all know God personally. Can you say amen? A little bit further into what we call a personal arrangement or a personal relationship. Uh, For example, you have great respect for a historical figure. Say Abraham Lincoln, or we'll say somebody near that could have been known in our lives. Say, Say Ronald Reagan. Uh, so you've studied Ronald Reagan's writings, you've read books about him, you've spoken with people that knew him personally, you can quote him and tell others about his life and work, you know a lot about Ronald Reagan. Is your relationship with Ronald Reagan personal? It's still not personal. It may be inspirational, right? It may be informed, but it's not personal because you've never interacted personally with him. Are you still here? So we don't know Jesus historically as a historical figure. We know him and he wants to know us personally. He said, behold, I stand at the door and knock. And if any man will open the door, he won't knock the door down and violate your will and force himself on you. But if you will open the door, he said, I'll come in and dine with you and you'll come in and dine with me. And that dining has to do with the covenant meal. Can you say amen? We partake of him. You know, if you sit down and eat with people, you're eating the same things that they're eating off the table. Right? And why eating is so popular and fellowshipping with other people around food is so popular. Because when you're partaking of the same food that they're eating, you're also communicating with them and saying things and expressing your heart. And they're expressing their heart. So you're getting to know them on a personal level. You're partaking of the same food substantially. Uh, you know, as far as as the food and as the natural man is being fed, but you're also partaking of them, right? And getting to know them personally as you eat with them, right? And Jesus talked about eating his flesh and drinking his blood. And so he wants to have a very personal relationship with us and that means one where there is transaction can you say amen so is God a God of personal relationships 
does he want to have personal relationships? If we say that something is personal when it involves relationship, it's particularly a binding, transactional, socially acknowledged relationship. Furthermore, if something involves the actual presence or an interaction with another individual, then it's deemed personal. In this way, a personal relationship is not possible with an inanimate object. I can't say I've got a personal relationship with that chair. You can go into the woods and say, I personally uh, transcend, uh, transcendental meditation uh, with, uh, you know, and I get in communion. God is nature, and I know God through nature. You, you can't know a waterfall personally. Now, you may know something about God who created the natural things, but the only way that you can personally know God is through the death, burial, and resurrection and accepting the substitutional sacrifice of His Son that He sent to change our nature into a nature so that we could actually commune and be reconciled with one another. You know God personally through the Lord Jesus Christ. You can know about Him through nature, but you can't know Him personally through nature. The mountains and the oceans and the waterfalls and the vegetation of this earth will not give you eternal life. They will help you know the grandeur, the majesty of the one who offers eternal life, and they are a witness to the reality of his person. But they are just to draw your attention to the one who created those and gave his son through which he created those things, who offers his bloodshed and took upon him flesh and came to this world and died as a substitute so that justice could be discharged in his substitution and we could be free from that, uh, you know, uh, the guilt of sin through his death for us. Say it with me. I know him personally. I'm in a covenant personal relationship with the living God. Amen. So, particular, knowable, actual presence of that person means it's personal. We may also describe something as personal if it involves our private life, our most intimate thoughts or our emotions. How many has ever said, you know, to somebody, somebody's asked you something, you said, well, that's a personal question. In other words, that's dear to my heart, that's private. It's not, you know. So that's a personal question. And also intimate, you know, private, close to our heart that touches us, something that touches us at a deep level. Our relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ is to be touching us at a deep level because it's us and Him, Him and us. He's the vine, I'm the branch. I'm in Him, He's in me, I'm in Him. How much more personal can you get when the God that saves you lives inside you? You know, as far as apologetics go, 
Christianity couldn't have been thought up by human beings because it's so amazingly outside of the unrenewed humanistic mind. There's all kinds of religions in the world, but only a few of them have a personal God. A lot of religions serve inanimate objects, animism, right? Idols, right? Uh, they're not a personal relationship there. Uh, they fellowship around demon-inspired things. And in other religions, or the great nirvana of the cosmic wholeness, and, you know, uh, it's, it's, you know, like getting into a state of nothingness and stuff like that. God is not a state of nothingness. He is a God, the living God that created heaven and earth, that calls himself our Father, and that actually brought us into spiritual existence through the new birth and redeemed us through His Son's blood, and sent His Son into our sin-cursed, dark, uh, you know, world, and the shadows of this darkness, because He was personally pursuing us, because He wanted a personal, eternal relationship with us throughout the eons of time. He's a personal God. Aren't you glad that He's a personal God? That, you know, that's the, 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 the spiritual hunger within man's heart can't be satisfied with anything except the personal relationship with a personal God. I know God today. They shall all know Him from the least to the greatest. And the wonderful thing about this new covenant is you don't have to let the high priest go into the holy place. The Bible says, having boldness by the blood of Jesus we can enter boldly into the holiest. And the holiest there, the word in Hebrews is actually not the holy place or the outside part, but the very holiest of holies where the Shekinah glory and the ark and the angels were. We can go right into the presence of God our Father, the creator of the universe, and we can know Him personally through His Word and by His Spirit. So this is as far away from religion as you can get. This is relationship. And this is what Ike was talking about last week. This is fellowship. The purpose of a relationship is so that we can fellowship. Fellowship is the Greek word koinia. And koinia means where we get our word coin from. And it means coin in our society is common. Use the same quarters and dimes I do. I use the same quarters and I, that's, that's, you know, that's common. Right? Koinia. This is the roots of fellowship. This is knowing. And so uh, uh, this is, uh, you know, we are to, you know, we have fellowship with him and we have fellowship with one another. Amen? Say it again. We may have a personal relationship. And I have a covenant relationship with the living God. Boy, this is going slower than I intended it to go. Don't your heart hungry for this? A personal knowing of God? Wow. How can, how can the life in Christ be boring when you can know the living God? Right? So it involves our deepest, most emotions, touches us at a deep level. It involves personal communication and transaction. Uh, it's between us and Him. So 
Of the many religions in the world, only three claim a singular specific deity. Islam, Judaism, and Christianity. But then Christianity, uh, there's no religion that actually accomplishes the change of man's nature except the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. What other religion makes you a new creation and makes you a whole different person than you used to be? Can anybody testify that you're different pre-born again to to after you before Christ and now after Christ? Can we say what Paul said in times past, things were different from what things are now? I don't know about you, but I'm a different person. People say, does God exist? I'm a testimony God exists. I love people like I didn't used to love them. I've got friends that used to run drugs and was in jail that now are preaching the gospel. That's a witness. Not to mention the sun coming up in the morning and the oceans and the mountains and all the things that are created. Are you still here? The blessed hope that we have, the confidence that we have, the change we have in our life, uh, you know, the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. Uh, There's enough witnesses to keep you witnessing for the rest of your life if you'd receive them that God is real. Can you say amen? But Christianity will make you a new person and give you a new nature. And then the God, what other religion of these three that we mentioned can make you, give you a new nature and make you a new creation, but then can actually, God actually, after he makes you new, actually comes to live inside you. Know you not that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. I've got God living on the inside. I don't know if any other religion in the world can, can, whose God actually comes to live inside you after he makes you a new person. Isn't it good to have the truth and not be steeped in some fanatical falseness? I mean, God deals with the problem at its root spiritually. Sit with me, I have a personal relationship. Of all these religions, only Christianity proclaims a God who is relational within himself. Christians understand the Godhead being three persons, right? The Trinity, right? God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. This is exclusive to Christianity, and these are personal concepts. The triune God that Christians worship is three distinct persons in one being revealed in history and in the pages of Bible as the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Because of this, God was and is and will always be in relationship. Before there was a world, God was a God of personal relationship. The Son was loving the Father. The Father was loving the Son. Spirit was loving the Son. The Son was loving the Spirit. 
God's always been a God of personal relationships. Even before he created the human race, he was a God of personal relationships. And why are you saying this? Because he wants a personal relationship with you and me. And you can know the living God personally. And this solves the faith problem. If I know him personally as my father, if I know him, his faithfulness and his love and his grace, then uh, I can trust him can, that he's going to take care of me because he is my God personally and I am his child. We have a personal relationship. So God was, is, and always will be in relationship. He's never alone and never lonely. His loving overture to mankind, I like the word overture, his loving overture to mankind is simply the outflowing of the love that already exists within himself for himself. <laughs> I don't preach myself happy this morning. This overture is he is relational and there's enough love between him and the Father, between the Son, the Father, and the Spirit, and it just the overture of it flowed out to human beings, and he wants the same thing relationally with us that he has within himself, within the Godhead. In fact, Jesus prayed in John 17 that we might be made one as he and the Father are one. So, you know, the standard or the criterion for our unity on earth is the Godhead. He wants us to be in unity and to be in loving relationship with each other, just like He and the Son and the Holy Spirit is. And you also can tell from that He's a God of faith. <laughs> that Jesus would pray, and we know Jesus will get an answer to that prayer, that we will be one as He and the Father are one. He prayed, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. He wants us to get along with each other like he gets along with the other persons in the Godhead. Can you say, man, they're different persons, but they're not going three different directions. They flow together. Can you say, man? Y'all want a little bit more of this? Uh, so this is our God, the God of Eternal personal relationships. Uh, the personal salvation that Christian experience, the personal salvation that Christians experience is reconciliation with God the Father carried out. And reconcile means to restore to favor. Right? God didn't need to be reconciled to us. Because he didn't offend us or do anything wrong against us. We were the ones that needed to be reconciled to him. But he initiated the reconciliation through sending Jesus, his own son. Emmanuel, who became a human being, who could die for human beings in the place of human beings, so that human beings could be reconciled. So the personal salvation that Christians experience is a reconciliation with God the Father carried out through God the Son in the power of God the Holy Spirit. God's triune nature, the personal oneness or unity of the Trinity, 
demonstrates the kind of personal relationships he longs to share with mankind. God wants that kind of relationship with you and me. Christians worship a creator, a God, who proactively, proactively enters into relationship with his created beings. A God who even refers to himself in the context of human relationships. Now that's amazing in and of itself. God refers to himself in the context of human relationships. He said, I am the God of who? Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So although he's the creator of the universe, made the galaxies, he calls himself the God of human beings. He's the God of Tim Horton. He's the God of Merritt Scott. He's the God of Melissa Fitzner. He calls himself the God of human beings. Now that's condescension. Are you still here? For him to come down like that. I mean, God is amazing. If you, if the more you get to know him, the more amazing he is. That he created us and that we're temporal and we're corruptible and we're just here for a short time. And yet he's eternal, the almighty, the creator of heaven and earth. He knows he's omniscient. He knows everything. He's omnipotent. He's all powerful. And yet he wants to talk and spend time with you. He has a personal plan for you and a personal salvation for you because he is a God of personal relationships. So far be away religion and just doing religious rote and ordinances and stuff. This is about relationship. It's personal and it's about covenant, which we don't have time to get into, which was even better than this part. <laughs> I don't know. It's all good. Can you say, man? Say it with me. I have a personal God, a personal salvation. Jesus is my personal Savior. I have the personal ministry of the Holy Spirit 24-7 daily to me. That's a pretty good situation. Can you say man? So he said, I'm the God of human beings, of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. Now, you know, one, I'm taking a little side journey here, but one time, you know, the Sadducees came to Jesus and the Sadducees didn't believe in the resurrection of the dead. And they concocted this story to trap Jesus about the man who married the woman. And, uh, you know, he died. And then, of course, Hebrew uh, tradition was that the brother would marry her or raise up children unto his brother so that that, you know... Uh, progeny or that ancestry would not be lost, but that brother's name would continue. So I'm personally glad that neither one of my brothers died and I had to fulfill that. <laughs> Hope my sister-in-laws are not listening to this CD this morning. 
No, I love my brothers and my sister-in-laws. <clears throat> anyway, so first brother died. He married the woman. Second one, brother died. He died. Third one married her. If I'd been the fourth one, I'd just moved. I'd got out of there. <laughs> so there's something not right about this situation. <laughs> Random statistics are not working in my favor here. <laughs> so the fourth one dies without children, and then the fifth one marries her. So all the way through seven brothers. So the Sadducees think they have Jesus caught, and they say to him, So in the resurrection, whose wife is she going to be? And boy, Jesus just nails them to the wall. He said, you don't know the Scriptures, nor do you know the power of God. He said, first of all, in a resurrection, he said, we're going to be like the angels. We're not going to marry or be given in marriage. So, well, I really enjoy being married. Well, God's got even things better. I mean, we're, his, we're going to be married to Him, okay? And then secondly, he said, hadn't you read what God said to Moses at the bush, he said, God said, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Now, they don't believe that anybody can be raised from the dead or resurrection. He said, I'm the God of Abraham. And this was talking to Moses hundreds of years after Abraham had passed off the scene and had died physically. But God is calling himself the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So he said, you don't err knowing the Scriptures. You didn't, you didn't read this name of God good enough in the Old Testament. God called himself God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And they had been, not been around for hundreds of years. He said, uh, you erred not knowing the power of God. He said, God is not the God of the dead, but of the living. When you get to heaven, we're going to meet Abraham. <laughs> We're going to meet Isaac. They're not dead and gone and not in existence. The Bible says in Hebrews 12 that they're in this great cloud of witnesses that's encouraging us to run the race of faith and go forward in God. They're going to come back with him. Can you say amen? So God qualifies himself as the God of personal relationships with human beings. I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. He says this, identifying with the people whom he made and kept great covenant promises. Can you say amen? Christians believe that God, that the God who proactively enters into a relationship with his created beings, a God who even, oh, well, I've read that, who refers, Christians believe that God, God's promises to his people demonstrate his desire for a loving, personal relationship with them. He says, I'm going to take care of you. I'll be a father to you. I'll lead you. I'll guide you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. How could that not be personal? I am the vine. You are the branches. He that abides in me shall bear much fruit. How can that not be personal? Behold, I stand at the door. If you open the door, I'll come in. You'll dine with me. I'll dine with you. There will be a partaking, an intimacy happening. Amen? And you know, your life is just not complete unless that is complete. Amen? So, 
I'm finishing up. Christians believe that God's promises to his people, they're personal promises. They are no less the word of God than if Jesus appeared in person and said to you, I will supply all of your needs according to my riches and glory. By my stripes, you were healed. That is a personal thing right out of his mouth. Amen? So Christians believe that God's promises to his people demonstrate his desire for a loving personal relationship with them. He didn't want simply to rule over them. That's Satan that wants to lord it over. Right? This dictatorial control of governments in the world are human beings under the dominion of, uh, of Satan. He didn't want simply to rule over us or micromanage our behavior. God don't want to micromanage your behavior. He said over and over again that His desire for us was to be His people and for us and for Him to be our God. Such a God is lovingly loyal and loyally loving to the works of His hands. In other words, that defines what the Old Testament, we didn't, weren't able to get into it, called the Hebrew word hesed, H-E-S-E-D. And it is the environment that's created when a covenant is entered into. And most times, in the King James, that word most often is translated loving kindness. Have you ever saw the word loving kindness? The psalmist said, Thy loving kindness is better than life. Loving kindness is the sphere or the environment that comes out of a covenant being made. So when God makes a covenant with us and entered into a covenant, then Hesed is the covenant relationship that develops out of that covenant. And because we don't understand covenant, we don't understand it because if you just talk about love and talk about love, then, you know, it gets a little bit soppy and sentimental. But if you talk about faithfulness only and just keeping covenant, then it can get a little bit distant and hard and cold. But the word has said, or loving kindness, includes not only love of God, but includes His faithfulness. And it includes his power and his strength. So all of those words, if you could mix all of those words together, strength, loyalty, commitment, and love together, that describes what comes out of our covenant relationship. He loves us, but he's committed to us. The Bible talks about his faithfulness. He will not let you down. He will keep his word. He loves you, but just not just he just doesn't feel passionate about you. He also is strong towards you and he's faithful towards you. And that's what this covenant is. And the new covenant is a better covenant than the old covenant. Amen? Everything that he said he'd do is a personal covenant promise uh, of his love and of his faithfulness to us. 
So he's lovingly loyal and loyally loving to the works of his hands. That's us, right? He loves what he is committed to. He's committed to what he loves. This is described as loving kindness or covenant love and encompasses both his love and his faithfulness. This is the environment that a covenant creates, one of loving kindness, of loving loyalness and loyal lovingness. This is him becoming our God and us becoming his personal and covenant people. Jesus Christ came to make God personal to man. We have a covenant relationship. Can I, can I have the liberty to read one more thing before we take the Lord's Supper? This was some, some notes. If I can get them, I turned it off. I'll have to start it up from the beginning because I double hit my key. I wanted to read an account. There it is. Of an illustration from uh, Brother Clay Trumbull's book, which was written around 1900, late 1800s, uh, about blood covenant. And he described what a blood covenant was. in actual working uh, a blood covenant is commonly between two persons of the same religion uh, this covenant held was held as cl a closer tie than that of birth uh, the Arabs have a saying that blood is thicker than milk. We have a saying that blood's thicker than water. Blood's thicker than milk means that even, you know, children that have been nursed by the same mother, that a blood covenant is stronger than the natural, uh, you know, bond of family. And uh, he goes on to describe uh, what a blood covenant looked like in practice. Um, and I wanted to read this as we take the Lord's Supper. And I thought I had it here, but I may not have it here. We'll see. Here we go. Uh, He said, uh, in bringing the rite of a blood covenant into preeminence, it may be well for me to tell of it as it was described to me by an intelligent native Syrian, and this was in the late 1800s that he wrote this, who saw it consummated or executed in a village at the base of the mountains of Lebanon, then to add evidence to its widespread existence in the East and everywhere in earlier and latter times. He said, uh, the purpose of the following example is to give our Western mentality a covenant point of reference. This was a Caesarian society, uh, uh, the Syrian society in the late 1800s, and it was passed down from antiquity. He said there was two young men who were to enter into a blood covenant. 
They had known each other and had been close friends for years, but now they were to become brother friends. The Bible uses the word friend as a blood covenant partner. In the covenant of blood, their relatives and neighbors were called together. So they got their neighbors and relatives. They're going to cut blood covenant. In the open place before the village fountain to witness the sealing of the compact and covenant, the young men publicly announced their purpose and the reasons for entering the covenant. Their declarations were written down. That's the covenant terms or oaths. In duplicate, one paper for each friend. And signed by themselves and several witnesses. One of the friends took a sharp lancet and opened a vein in the other's arm. Into this opening thus made, he inserted a quill, something hard and hollow like a straw. We would say like an IV. uh, That would allow, you know, the infusion of liquids. Through which he sucked the living blood of the other guy. Uh, The lancet blade was carefully wiped on one of the duplicate covenant papers. Covenant ratified in blood. And then it was taken by the other friend who made the like incision in the first user's arm and drank some of his blood through the quill, wiping the blade on the duplicate covenant record. The two friends declared together, We are brothers in a covenant made before God. Who deceiveth the other, him will God deceive. Each blood-marked covenant record was folded carefully to be sewn up in a small leather case or amulet about an inch square to be worn thenceforth by the covenant brother suspended about their neck or their bond upon the arm in token of the indissoluble relation." That's how a covenant was carried out. You know, Jesus said in John 6, unless you eat of my flesh and drink of my life, or drink of my blood, you don't have my life. And a whole bunch of people left that day, remember? And so when you, if you drank the blood, that sounds gross to us, Right? But that means their life is in you and your life is in them. Right? I am the vine, you are the branches. So when God cut blood covenant with us through Jesus Christ, we are in union with Him. And what a covenant means, I will keep this to my blood or to my death. And that's what he did. He kept the covenant to the point of dying for us. That's a personal covenant relationship. So we're approaching the Lord's Supper this morning. When you take the cup and drink it, blood is symbolic of life. So that means you have Christ's life in you. He's in you. Amen? And we're honoring what he did in the shedding of his blood. Amen. Ushers, come forward. I don't know if I did a very good job of explaining this this morning, but it's a wonderful place to be in.
to be in a blood covenant relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Say it with me. His life is in me. My life is in Him. And you know, when you start reading the New Testament through these, this lens, then you start seeing everything that He did uh, in basis of a covenant. It just all takes on a new and a fresh meaning and revelation to you. That means when you come into covenant with someone, that means... Uh, you know, a contract is different from a covenant because a contract can be broken. But if I'm in a blood covenant with you, then, uh, I mean, for example, if I go out with Steve and we're eating, and I say, I forgot my billfold today. Steve, can you loan me money to cover my meal? Okay, he's a friend, right? But if me and Steve are in blood covenant relationship, what Steve's is Steve and what mine is Steve's. So if I forget my billfold, I just say, Steve, hand me your billfold. Right? And so we're in a relationship with God. Are you still here? So that means everything that God's is yours. His name is yours. His authority is yours. His righteousness is yours. His home is yours. His life is yours. But then on the back side of the covenant, everything that I have should be His. My money is His. My time is His. Right? Contracts makes transfers between goods, but covenants make transfers between lives. Very, very important. This is not a good time to get distracted. Say it with me. Everything that's God's is mine. And everything that's mine is God's. I'm in a covenant relationship. A blood covenant relationship with the living God. Praise God. So if you need something, then God's got it. Amen? If you need health, then God will give it to you. If you need wisdom, God will give it to you. If you need life, God will give it to you. If you need victory, God's got it. Can you say amen? And you got his, but he's got yours. Praise God. So we're renewing our covenant today. And that's what communion or fellowshipping with God over the Lord's table is all about. Is this going to be more meaningful to you today? Praise God. Hopefully it is. Sometimes these things fall on, you know, ears that just don't perceive the depth of what they are. But we'll keep meditating on them and think them till we get it. Did everyone that wanted to be a part of communion or you served this morning?
Say it with me. I have a personal relationship with God. Jesus is my personal Savior. He did it for me. Father, we approach the everlasting covenant that was ratified in the blood of Jesus with honor, with uh, gravity, but with thanksgiving and joy. And Jesus said on that night that He was betrayed. He took bread and He broke it. And He said, this is my body being broken in the place of our body being broken. And Father, we're thankful that our body don't have to be broken because Jesus' was broken as a substitute. We thank You that there's healing in the ordinance today that He took our burdens, He carried our pains, He bore our stripes, and that it'd be double jeopardy for us to be punished with sickness and disease. We claim our healing, we claim our life through the broken bread today. We give thanks for it, the healing covenant. In Jesus' name, amen. You may break the bread and eat it. What should be happening now? I'm eating of His flesh by faith. I'm taking of the life and strength of Jesus. I'm strong in the Lord and in the power of His night. My joints are strong. My organs are healed. Amen? I'm healed from the top of my head to the soles of my feet because He's in me. His life, His power, His virtue is in me. Thank you, Lord. The Bible said, For this cause many are weak and sickly in the church, not discerning that power of the Lord's body. Father, we're also thankful for the shed blood that washes away every sin. We stand before You righteous, reconciled, with not the least smidgen of guilt or condemnation today, holy and pure by the power of Christ's cleansing blood. And Father, we give You glory and honor and praise that You've included us in redemption. You said, let the redeemed of the Lord say so, proclaim so, and that we were redeemed not with corruptible things, wasn't bought with silver and gold, but we were bought with precious blood. And so we, uh, Father God, a drink in remembrance of the blood that's been shed for us, that's given us life. We give thanks for the blood of Jesus. In His name we receive the cup. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. What have we done? We have renewed the blood covenant this morning that we have through Christ. Amen. Stand up with us. This message has been brought to you by Faith Builders Family Church. To learn more, please visit our website, www.faithbuilderschurch.net.